This podcast was produced on Wednesday, September 27 at 11.54 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The, the interrupter was right in my face, trying to you know, get right into my personal physical space with really aggressive gesturing with the hands. And so there's a bit of fear, I think, on part of my team. And so you'd see some people come in that were physically trying to protect me. That was Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leadership hopeful. I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. This week, I sit down with the Ontario MPP as part of our series on the candidates vying to replace Thomas Mulcair as the leader of the NDP. Singh talks to me about that viral video that caught the attention of everyone from CNN's Jake Tapper to Martin Luther King's daughter, Bernice King. Before the country knew his name, however, Singh was the only non-MP and the last person to enter the NDP leadership race. He initially drew criticism for his stance on the Ontario Liberal government's sex education curriculum. You described it as a, quote, disrespectful to parents, unquote, and, quote, that it must respect the diversity of beliefs when it comes to educating our children, unquote. That's the kind of language I expect from Conservatives. But one of the things that's really shameful to me is when a government comes forward with policies and doesn't provide information to racialized communities. It was disrespectful in terms of not providing information in different languages. And I was at a number of uh, uh, rallies where the right was allowed to spread all sorts of misinformation because the government failed to heed when I asked them to come and provide clarification. Then, when the leadership candidates' fundraising totals and membership sales were released, and Singh's impressive numbers suggested he was the frontrunner, his rivals began to press him on his commitment to the federal party. You've refused to commit to saying whether you'll run if you lose this leadership race. Will you commit to the federal NDP and to run no matter what the result of this leadership is? I'm absolutely going to run because I'm absolutely going to win. Politicians outside the NDP race are also talking about him. The leader of the Bloc Québécois, Martine Wallet, suggested that Singh's turban and his kirpan were too religious for Quebec. Proof, she said, of the rise of the religious left. Actually, what he is promoting and what he is, uh, is affiche, it's really that his religion, it's so important for him that its primary values are related to his religion. NDP members will choose their next leader on Sunday. It could be Singh or not. And if no one wins 50% or more of the votes, another round of balloting will take place. There's the background. Here's Jagmeet Singh. Oh, great to meet you. Great to meet you. Are you here to bike with Jagmeet? Yes. Yep, me too. I'm uh, Jeff Stiles. Uh, I live in Ottawa, in Vanier, and I'm here basically uh, to support the NDP's leadership campaign. I haven't decided who to vote for yet, but I thought it'd be a good chance to meet with Jagmeet and see what he's doing. I assume you're an NDP member. What is weighing in your mind? What, in your, what is your ballot question? Well, I want somebody who's both strong on policy but also strong on building the party base. That's what I think is important. And Jagmeet's done a good job of that so far, but we're not quite there yet, so we'll see. My name's Alec Johnston. I'm a member of the NDP in Ottawa Centre. Uh, I'm here because I haven't decided who I'm voting for. 
I, I wouldn't vote for Charlie Angus because I just don't think he's, he's French is good enough. And uh, I wasn't impressed with um, a Nikki because she flip-flops on issues. And I think that if you're going to take the, hear her position like, like she wants to do with Bernie Sanders or with the guy in England is good. But you have to sort of like stick to your principles and not change when Twitter disagrees with you. I'm down to two candidates, but um, so I, I might, depending on what I hear or see or what happens, I might go home and vote for him or I might not. So my main concern, though, is, is winnability in Quebec. And my other main concern um, is having charisma. So one is better in Quebec, but one is a little bit more chariz charismatic. And unlike Charlie Angus, though, his charisma transfers when he speaks French. Like I've heard him speak and stuff like that, where it's not stilted French. So it's not so bad. But um, I want to see how he does today. He'll probably speak some French and see how comfortable he is and get, get a sense of, uh, of what will work. Oh, there he is now. Uh, excuse me, how's it going? Can I give you a high five? What's up? Always. Ready? One, two, three. It's already ready. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Are you good? Yeah. Okay. Great. My God, I'm great. How's the bike ride? It was good, actually. Auto is super pretty. Yeah. Don't worry. It didn't sound like you were farting. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just some water. It's pretty unladylike for you to point out that, huh? I'm just joking. I don't. I don't prescribe to gendered notions of what is appropriate behavior or not. For the record. Hi, my name is Jagmeet Singh, and I'm running to be the next leader of the NDP, and the next Prime Minister of Canada. And why do you want to be the next leader of the NDP? So that we can implement the progressive policies that Canada deserves. No, really, to make make our society more inclusive, more just. There's there's significant need for policies to tackle things like inequality that's growing, climate change, you know, economic injustice, racial injustice. There's so much that we can do. And I think we're the only party that's got the courage to actually tackle those issues. But why do you want to be leader of the NTP? Why do you think you're the best person who can achieve electoral success? I think I'm able to inspire people and I'm able to capture the attention of people and work with the team and celebrate the team to bring out the best attributes and qualities of the team around me. And that's going to put us in the best position to achieve electoral success. When did you start thinking that this is something that you might like to do? The first moment it came to my mind was after the, the convention in Alberta, when Mr. Mulcair didn't receive the support to continue on as leader, there was speculation of a next leader, and I was really surprised to see my name is one of the names that was tossed around, but only kind of in the Toronto media circle. And I looked at that and I smiled. I thought, well, that's a compliment, but not something that was within anywhere in my realm of possibility or desire. But that was the first time the thought, I guess, entered into my mind as a, that's not a realistic thing, but cool. Thank you for the compliment. And then it, it evolved from there. How did it evolve from there? 
initially, the only thing I did was I didn't really answer the question. When people said, hey, are you going to do this or not? I just didn't really say yes or no. And I don't know why I didn't really say yes or no. I didn't want to at the time, but I just thought I wasn't going to give a, an answer right away. And by chance, that turned out to be something good because it kept the idea percolating. And the moment that I actually started thinking about it seriously was at after two conventions, I was invited to speak at the Alberta NDP provincial convention and then the BC forward convention, which is also another provincial convention. And after two of them, the response from the crowd and from people after I did my keynote address was so overwhelmingly in favor of me running. I then started thinking maybe I should give this more thought. Leadership was never my idea, federally least of all. And, and then we sat down as a team and, and one of the things that came up was that I always wanted to do, I'd said this a lot, that I wanted to do as much positive as I can in the shortest amount of time because I don't think of politics as a career. I just think of it as an opportunity. It's an honor, but it's not something that's going to be a career. And so some folks said, well, if that's your mentality, then this may be the best way to do the most amount of good, inspire the most amount of people, get the movement you know, excited again. And this could be the way to do that. And I started thinking about that. And a lot of folks were encouraging me. There was this kind of movement and recruit me that was building. And eventually it kind of made sense to me that maybe this is the best way to inspire as many people as possible to, to try to build the best Canada possible. This might be the best way to do it. So time-wise, where are we? This is December, November? This would have been... Uh, it was just right before we announced. So May is we announced. I was still uncertain right up until like I was almost convinced. Then I then I take a step back and say, "That doesn't make sense." You know, I'm, it's such a big sacrifice, such a big step. Um, staying provincial makes more sense in the sense that this is where I've received a mandate. This is where I was elected, and this is where. Um, we're in a great position provincially. It maybe makes more sense just to continue on the path that I'm on. And so I was quite ambivalent right up until just before May when I finally said, okay, I'm in, let's do this. And that's when we started organizing. How do you feel that you have changed, like you personally have changed since the campaign has launched? I feel like it's cheesy to say, whoa, what a good question. But that is a good question because I, I was thinking about that. Every every campaign, I think, tests you in a certain way. So you always grow from things that test you. And I definitely feel like I've grown in, in my current role as a provincial member of parliament and as a, as a deputy, deputy leader that definitely helped me grow. But this has been an entirely new set of challenges doing stump speeches in different provinces and different cities across Canada, connecting with people. It's, it's something that I feel like I was good at before to connect with people, but I've, I've been forced to, to do that in different areas, different regions, places where I'm outside of my comfort zone. And it makes you have to dig deeper to find the connection with all people and to see that there is, there's so much connection, even in areas you wouldn't imagine. Like I always talk about the South shore of Nova Scotia as being a really random place that I would never have visited probably as a as a provincial politician, but federally it makes sense to go everywhere. My French has gotten better, I think, too. 
which is awesome. I love the idea of improving. I always believe you should be better today than you were yesterday and that I'll be better tomorrow than I was today. So that's, that's cool. I love, I love the language and the fact that I'm improving is, is uh, encouraging to me. Um, I think my public speaking has gotten better too. I think that I've been on a, on a different stage and it's given me a chance to practice communication and to improve that way too. So I, I feel growth there. Throughout our campaign, I've been connecting with more and more Canadians looking for a political voice. And I'm bringing them home to our party, the NDP. New Democrats owe it to Canadians to form government. That's the only way we can make the progress that's needed on climate change, inequality, and reconciliation. That's why I'm running. We're bringing new members, new voters, new volunteers into our movement. We're organizing to win in 2019. What is it that you think allows you to connect with people? I do genuinely care about people. And I think when you genuinely care about someone, it's easier to connect. So I, that's definitely there. But that's not unique. A lot of people care about people. I think one thing that, that comes from my mom, and I talk about it a lot, it's something really true. It's ingrained in me. It's a really fundamental part of who I am. Is My mom really taught me on a regular basis that we're all connected, that we're all one. And it sounds a bit hippie sometimes when you hear it being said, like, what does it really mean? But it's true. I think we all really, we are all really connected, that there is a connection we share. You can make it practical and say we're connected because we live in the same city, province, country, planet. So we're connected that way. But there's some sort of connection that we all share. And having been taught that my whole life, I really try to find that in someone else. And I feel it's so true. It rings really true. When I speak with someone, I meet with someone, I do see that we're connected. And I hope that comes through when, when I chat with folks. Does that mean that you take people's comments and you internalize them? It means that I... Like about yourself, I'm thinking. Like when we were in Hamilton yeah. and we asked you about Pierre Nantel's comments. What do you think of someone coming out and saying something like that because you wear a turban and the kirpan that people won't accept you in a I mean, I grew up uh, with people telling me that I, I would never become a, a member of provincial parliament, that I would never be in a chance to become a leader of a national party. So I've been told that uh, something's not possible, and that's never stopped me in life. Uh, I'm confident. When we asked you if you had known how he, how he felt, you said no, that you had no idea, but you seemed to be thinking, like emotionally responding to what he was saying. Um, well, I try to find out where someone's coming from and try to find if I can understand the person. And so I don't take things personally. I don't think it's about me. Like if someone attacks me now, it might be they're attacking, you know, the party or they're attacking whoever happens to be the leader. So I don't take things personal, but I try to step inside someone's mind and try to see like where, what would I be thinking or where would I be coming from to say these things? So I don't know if that really answers your question. But like Martin Wallet. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I kind of get. I, I don't understand it on a on a philosophical level, but I, if I really step inside, I can see maybe this is. Maybe this is an attempt to defend something that's really important to her. I think it doesn't, it doesn't pan out. I don't think it's true, but there's got to be 
people got it. Mostly they come from a place of some sort of, they want to do something good in the world and they want to do something good for society. So there's got to be a place they're coming from. up in St. John's. That's right. Um, Should we clarify which St. John's though? Newfoundland. Newfoundland. We have to always say Labrador too. And Labrador. <laughs> um, tell me about your childhood. St. John's, Newfoundland, Labrador. It was, is where I learned how to speak English. It's where I learned how to ride a bike, where I learned how to swim and to build a snowman snow person and <laughs> throw a snowball. Uh, it was a good childhood. I had, I had a lot of fond memories. It was um, something I really remember unique about Newfoundland is that we didn't care about the weather. Like it could be cold. It could be warm. It wasn't always very warm, but it could be whatever the weather was. It didn't have any impact on our playing outside. We would just go outside and play. And I also had a lot of freedom. Kind of was, there was a sense of safety and community just, go out and run around and do whatever so there's a sort of free-spirited kind of element to my childhood in newfoundland and labrador and that yeah, just positive good times i was featured in on the newspaper for playing with some rocks uh, by the telegram and 30 years later i was featured again by the telegram for maybe becoming potentially becoming the next leader of the party that's kind of a cool circle of events the cut line in the picture when you were a child said that you were jimmy singh daliwal this is correct when did you decide not to call yourself jimmy you know this is really random because i try to corroborate this with my parents with my mom particularly so my full name we'll put on the record now it's kind of on wikipedia anyways but it's jagmeet singh jimmy thaliwal is the full name on my birth certificate so in another world i could have been jimmy thaliwal and in this world, I'm Jigmeet Singh. I took like the first two parts of my name, not the second two parts of it. Kind of interesting. But there are political reasons why you took Singh and not Daliwal. Yeah. So Singh was was very much a part of the um, social justice and revolutionary element of the my Sikh practice, I guess. The idea that we're all equal, they're all one, a way to challenge this thing called the caste system, which is like racism and classism mixed together. And that's... Um, the practice is that we should fight for a society where we're all equal, where no one is considered high or low, where the elite don't deserve to have more resources or more rights. And so shedding a last name is also supporting this idea of believing in equality. So that was a very political message, a very social justice message that I supported. And the Jigmeet was an identity thing. I, I at some point felt like Jigmeet is who I am. And I want to be Jigmeet, not Jimmy. And so I randomly made the shift when I moved to Windsor, actually. And I did it. I must have been just after I was seven. So between seven and eight, I said, I want to be Jigmeet. And here I am. <laughs> when I spoke to you in December, you talked to me about how you used to get in fights in school and your dad put you in martial arts so that you would defend yourself. Mm-hmm. 
that didn't seem to have worked so well anyways because he shipped you down south to go to private school to sort of protect you. When I look through your policies, um, there's identity seems to be a reoccurring theme, um, whether, whether it's LGBTQ rights or ending carding or even just the oversight of the state uh, when you talk about national security. Is that where that preoccupation comes from? Well, I'm, I've always been a defender of human rights. That's something very important to me. Um, identity is important. I think everyone should have a strong sense of their own self-worth and should celebrate that self-worth, whatever it is. And as a society, we should protect people's right to be whoever they are, whatever they are. And that's something very fundamental to me. I think it also ties into that idea that my mom told me that we're all connected and we have a shared responsibility to care for one another. You talk a lot about your experience. Like you've talked about um, being stopped, even as a law student, by the police and finding that very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and feeling like you weren't the same as everybody else. Yeah, well, it's more than not the same as everyone else, it makes you feel like you don't belong. And it's a, it's a really powerful thing, a very powerfully negative thing, especially when you're in your own community, if you're in your own city. I was born in Toronto, born in Scarborough. And I share the story when I was stopped at Casa Loma. And when you're stopped in your own city for no reason, it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you for just being you. And that runs contrary to this idea of, that I really believe in, that everyone should celebrate their own self-worth. So... Yeah, it's frustrating. Uh, it's It kind of dehumanizes you, makes you feel less human. And that's something that I don't want anyone to feel. And so when I talk about challenging inequality, I come from that that space where I felt what, a bit of what, that, what that's like to feel inequality. And we can build a society where we don't have people to face that. And that's one of my hopes. I've shared a lot of stories with new Democrats around the country. But one story I haven't shared is something that my family and I experienced. While I was in university, my father became very ill. Both my parents were unable to work and my dad needed support. As a family, we had to figure out how to pay the bills, put food on the table, find the money for our university tuitions, and keep a roof over our heads. As the oldest of three siblings, I felt a responsibility to step up and provide support. So in my 20s, I became the sole income earner for my family. I took on three retail jobs at once, selling jeans, shoes, and clothing. I also took in my youngest sibling, my brother Grothensing. I became a surrogate parent. I made his meals, bought his clothes, sent him to school, and even attended parent-teacher meetings. We continued this way until my father was thankfully back on his feet many years later. We were lucky to find our way out of this precarious situation, but many people don't. Many people have faced far more difficult struggles and continue to face those struggles today. I just caught a little glimpse of the pressure they feel. The weight of living paycheck to paycheck, knowing the consequences of falling short, letting your family down, and losing the basics like shelter, food, and education. That's why when Justin Trudeau tells people to just get used to insecure employment, it offends me. Maybe 
maybe if you look at employment as a hobby, you can just get used to unstable work. But if your work means a difference between putting food on the table or a roof over the head of your family, then job insecurity is unacceptable. Your policy offering is incremental compared to some of the other candidates, like Nikki Ashton, for example. Um, she wants free tuition. She wants Canada to take a bold stance on the Middle East and to criticize Israel for its occupation of Palestine. She wants basically big fundamental change. What you're offering is not that. It's kind of similar to what Mr. Mulcair offered in 2015. Is that enough for new Democrats who say they want to shift? Well, we also are offering free tuition. I should also mention that. That's another policy that we have. We've got it, uh, a team that worked it out and that has a bold offering, not just free tuition, but also talking about supports for those who have other costs associated with going to university or going to post-secondary education. There's not just tuition fees. There's also living costs and costs of books. So we've proposed grants to support those that don't have the access to pay for those uh, additional costs in, in addition to tuition and talked about how we can actually eradicate and eliminate tuition fees. So uh, I think New Democrats want boldness. I'm prepared to offer boldness. Our position on criminal justice, our position on basic income guarantees, our taxation policies are all very bold and progressive steps forward. And I, I would not characterize them as incremental at all. They're very bold and significant. Would you run on a pledge to balance the books? See, this is one mistake that the, the federal party made that wasn't, that wasn't uh, sensitive to how people hear or how people respond to balanced budgets. Balanced budgets are used by parties to talk about austerity. And so balancing a budget sounds not progressive to people. Let's talk about climate. Um, you brought forward policy on climate. Your yep. benchmarks are a little bit faster than Mr. Trudeau, but the targets are still the same in the sense that you're still saying that you want to be 30% below 2005, but by 2025 instead of 2030. Um, and you even acknowledge in your plan that that's not going to get you all the way to the Paris um, commitments. Um, there also are very few benchmarks in your plan. Like you have a lot of policy, but it's mostly, it's vague. Why? Well, it's still a leadership campaign. It's different than a, an actual campaign for the government, a campaign, an election campaign. Leadership policy offerings aren't going to be as, as detailed as what is offered during um, an election campaign, but it provides a sense of the substance or the principles that matter. So I really wanted to focus on emissions reduction, looking at methane emissions reduction and offering some sort of broader vision of where we can head as a society in terms of what investments we should make in terms of energy projects. So the super grid, an idea of connecting Canada with the renewable green, clean energy that's in surplus in certain jurisdictions and connecting that to the rest of Canada is a bold initiative. It's something that would take us into the future. We know that electricity will be more and more the energy of choice 
in the future. So we should be ready for that, making those commitments, um, talking about some better accountability mechanisms, putting in place different officers, different legislative officers to make sure that we actually follow through on our commitments when it comes to reducing emissions. These are pretty significant steps forward. We've had a lot of um, great experts in the environmental field that have weighed in on and helped us with developing this plan. I think it it proposes the values and the principles and the ideas. And then when it comes to specific targets in terms of numbers, we'll work those out um, when we have the resources to do that. So basically, your platform is your priorities. Priorities, uh, principles, and values. I think those are the, the three key things. So where is Indigenous Affairs in there? Because it's not... It's something that we I raised as a, a fundamental pillar. So the four pillars were um, inequality, reconciliation, electoral reform, and climate change. And we've got a really exhaustive Indigenous justice piece Part of that's in our criminal justice piece. It talks about how uh, racialized people and particularly indigenous communities are amongst the most marginalized when it comes to the criminal justice system. So the reforms to the criminal justice system will help will help those who've been disproportionately impacted. Um, we actually have a specific piece around indi- indigenous justice that we're going to be releasing very shortly, and it's it's pretty thorough. It talks a lot about language and how important it is to uh, to not just talk about having legislation around language protection, but significant funding around that as well. And we've relied on some expertise in the indigenous community from leaders in language rights and how to defend and protect and to reinvigorate languages that are dying. Um, we've talked a lot about UNDRIP principles and, and wh- how we can implement those into our federal system and how important they are to implement. So we'll have some of these policies put forward very shortly you called for the decriminalization um, of hard drugs as well um, to help solve the opioid crisis. And because I asked the prime minister this when he was the leader of the third party, I will ask you this. Have you ever done any drugs? And if so, what were they and when? I actually haven't. I haven't even drank alcohol or smoked in my life. So I haven't done any drugs at all. If you considered caffeine from from chocolate a drug, then I have definitely had a lot of caffeine in chocolate. But no, I've not done any. So you'd have no problem going across the border? I would know. Not at all. <laughs> um, if you win uh, some at some point in any of the rounds, will you quit your job as an MPP? Yeah. What makes you think that the Canadian population will vote for somebody who has no federal experience. Like, can you, do you really think you can win in 2019? Cause that seems to be what you're selling you Democrats. I do. Why are you so confident? I think that people want, people wanted a, a progressive alternative. People believed in, in certain promises they were sold. They wanted to see, Know, their democracy change fundamentally to make it more just and more fair. They wanted to see climate climate change being taken seriously. Like young people really care about that. They understand the importance of protecting the environment, not for future generations, for this vague promise of the future, but right now we're seeing massive ecological disruptions and weather, extreme weather conditions. Protecting the environment is an issue of today, not of tomorrow. I'm confident that we can tap into that sentiment. 
that people got a glimpse of, got a little feeling of, thought was there with, with Justin Trudeau, but have been let down. There hasn't been an alternative though. So people are still remaining a bit hopeful. The polls are still strong. But once they see an alternative, a real passionate, authentic alternative, I'm confident we can inspire a lot of people. They are obviously, they being the people who are in Langevin block, and although I don't think we're calling it that, the Prime Minister's office and Liberal Party headquarters just down the street are no doubt studying you, all of your strengths and weaknesses. What are some of the weaknesses that we don't know you have yet? There's none. There is no weaknesses. <laughs> this is a strong team, strong leader. Don't even try looking, Liberals. There's no weakness out there. <laughs> okay, that's not an honest answer, but that's, <laughs> that's okay. But it was a funny answer, though, no? But it wasn't an honest answer. Oh, man. There's always weaknesses. I'll work on those. I'll improve all the time. Which are what? Uh, it's hard to think of when it's on the top of your head. You got to be guarded about your weaknesses. Only your close people know what they are. My name is Ravinder Chima. I support him by his ideas I like. He's a, he's a youth, and that's what, uh, well, with him, that's why. Were you a member of the NDP yes, before? Yes, I am a member of NDP. No, no, were you a member of the NDP before Mr. Singh? No, 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 I'm just following him because of his policies and his, uh, like, uh, I watch his speeches and everything all the time, and I like that guy, and I, I see hope in him. That's why I'm with NDP, and we will win. Uh, yeah, my name's Adam Burns. I'm uh, Union Local President for Officer Local 503. What is it about Jagmeet Singh that really speaks to you? Yeah, well, it was his answer on the uh, on the KM pipeline question. And while every other candidate was saying that they would go into communities where they're not themselves residents and make changes that affect the lives of thousands of people working on the oil pipelines, Jagmeet had a more even-handed answer. But he's opposed to Kinder Morgan Pipeline. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. He is opposed to the Kinder Morgan Pipeline. He is opposed to the Kinder Morgan Pipeline, but he said that he'll have a comprehensive plan and he hasn't talked about specifically how, how that's going to happen because he hasn't done sufficient consultation. And I think that's the kind of even-handedness. He needs to be doing a cross-country tour, and I think that that's something that he's going to be doing in the future. Um, what I would like to see is an NDP, uh, is, that, is the NDP form government in my time. And I think that Jagmeet is the best person to have, help that to, to come about.
recently uh, you uh, got a lot of national and international attention um, because of an incident in Brampton. I'd like you to walk us through that incident. Um, can you just tell us where you were? How did you notice this person? What was going through your mind? Sure, I'll give you the full behind the scenes. So when I was walking into the event, funny enough, I actually saw Jennifer. Everyone now knows her name is Jennifer Bush. Did you know I, her before? No, I saw her outside the outside the the venue. And so um, she came up to me and said, hey, I have a question. I'm going to have some questions for you. I said, hey, sure. There'll be a question time inside. I'll see you inside. So I didn't really take much of it. So walked into the room, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. I saw people in the room that had been in campaigns with me since 2011, people that had been on the journey since the beginning, supporters, volunteers, friends, really warm crowd. And I was really excited to deliver a speech and kind of a, kind of a, a rally almost is the, the atmosphere. And then in the middle of it, right when I kind of got the mic, within a couple of seconds of having the mics in my hand, uh, I was confronted with someone that was trying to interrupt the, the incident. And initially I tried to respond because there was a, a bunch of questions being asked. And you'll see in the video, I'm kind of trying to get a word in. So it sounds like I'm saying like, uh, uh, and it's me trying to find a space to enter into the discussion without talking over the, the person that was interrupting the event. And there was no opportunity for a conversation. It was just a tirade with no end and no stop. It's it's okay. So what what this is what this is we don't want to be intimidated by hate. We don't want hatred to ruin a positive event, right? We don't want hatred to ruin a positive event. So let's show people how we would treat someone with love. We welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome you. We love you. We support you and we love you. We support you. We love you. The, the interrupter was right in my face, trying to you know, get right into my personal physical space with really aggressive gesturing with the hands. And so there's a bit of fear, I think, on part of my team. And so you'd see some people come in that were physically trying to protect me. I think that's also a response of love and courage. There's a woman, Lovelyn Gore, who's a dear friend, someone that's been a family friend and someone that's worked with me and, and been a volunteer and part of our team now, physically was trying to also separate and try to protect me. Hannah was there, Hannah Island, uh, a dear friend and also someone on the team, our tour director. And there was also an older gentleman that stood up and kind of pointed and he was naming that what was going on is unfair, naming the injustice of what was going on. All of these responses, I think, are appropriate responses of fear, of, of love and courage in response to this kind of hate. And I think that some people have held me as a standard, as a politician, uh, a lawyer, someone who's kind of a lifelong history of dealing with negativity and racism. My response was appropriate for me, but it's not the only response. There's other ways that people can respond in a loving and courageous way. There's a Canadian politician named Jagmeet Singh. Uh, I didn't know about him before, uh, I have to confess, uh, but I'm glad I found, about, found out about him now. For Complex News, I'm Hanuman Welsh. A Sikh politician is receiving international applause for the way he responded to a belligerent racist. Millions of views later, and even the least experienced political junkie knows that Mr. Singh turned an ugly moment 
into a political gold mine. And this video has been making its rounds online. Many reacting south of the border, including CNN anchor Jake Tapper. He calls the woman infuriating and ignorant. Were you surprised by the international attention? Especially? Totally surprised. I did not see that coming at all. I mean, you never think that things are going to bounce so well. We had no way to control the message coming out of that. It could have. We actually didn't know there was going to be a message coming out of that. It didn't actually really clue in that this was being broadcast live. We knew that there was folks that were recording. It was partially because it was being live streamed that it got shared so much. That's not normally what happens. Normally people record things. They put it up on their website later on. Uh, all these things were kind of out of our control and out of our ability to predict. And it turned out, okay, not bad. A lot of people are looking at you and they compare you to Justin Trudeau um, in, a, in flattering ways um, because of your ability to connect with people and the crowds are coming out. And also in unflattering ways. They, some even if some of your, your competitors suggest that you're all gimmicky and slogans and there's not enough depth there. What do you think of that comparison? Well, the importance of connecting people is, is something that all political leaders, all people in this position need to have that ability. And so that comparison is, is a good thing to be able to connect to people. That's, I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, I think that I'll be able to show that there is certainly substance and certainly a lot of uh, follow through. Uh, what we've seen with Justin Trudeau is, is promises that touch at the surface of the issues that matter. And I'm hoping to go beyond than just talking about them, but providing a plan and a vision to achieving them and a follow through that's truly progressive. Thank you very much. Thank you. that's a wrap. This concludes our series with the NDP leadership candidates as Nikki Ashton declined to participate. If you want to hear my interviews with Guy Caron and Charlie Angus, check back on our last two episodes. Endless thanks this week to our wonderful co-producer, Zian Lum, and our talented technical producer, Stephanie Warner. Our executive producer is Andre Lau. If you enjoy our podcasts, please let us know and leave us a review on iTunes or tweet me your thoughts at Althea Raj. There is a wonderful team driving HuffPost Canada politics. Sign up for our daily newsletter to get the top Canadian poly news right in your inbox. Bye for now.